the one where they graduate. Bridget lay flat on her stomach on her dorm room floor, her face buried in a pillow to muffle her own screams of delight. I lay atop her, her sweet round ass pressing against my stomach as I drove myself into her pussy with the desperation of a guy who was on the verge of climax and knew this would be the last time he ever came inside his partner. Somehow, the two of us had decided upon saying our sexual farewells in Bridget's dorm room. We had never so much as made out in there before, and it seemed appropriate to try someplace new for our last time. Mostly, it had worked out great, but we had in the space of a few thrusts on our first round of actual intercourse, discovered that dormitory beds appeared to be actively engineered to squeak like a rusty vault door if used for sex and the rest of our various rounds of coupling had been on the floor. But now, cocks had been sucked, pussies had been eaten, and the brains had been fucked out of both of us in several positions. We were exhausted, which says a lot, since Bridget and I are both in excellent Arabic condition, and we were ravenously looking forward to dinner too. We could not miss either our final meal as students nor the headmaster's senior cigar send-off afterward. And so, I slammed into Bridget for all I was worth, desperately trying to hold back my orgasm until I felt her give way beneath me, so that we could climax that last time in unison. To be honest, I was wishing that she would just go ahead and come already. The feeling of my cock stroking into her was amazing, and I knew it was stroking her in very most favourite interior spot. I knew it well, but even if I had not, the way she writhed beneath me was ample evidence, and I could not stop myself. I hissed. I'm coming, damn it! With a groan, I let myself go and felt the rush of semen blast forth from me. I was surprised after our marathon that I had that much volume to give. Beneath me, Bridget's whole body spasmed. Her pussy grabbed my cock in wild, ragged spasms, and her hands against the floor pushed up so violently that she nearly managed a push-up with me on top of her. Her face made good use of the muffling pillow as she yelled wild, incoherent words into it, still loud, but hopefully not enough to be heard beyond her walls. I tried to keep going, not wanting it to end. I managed a few, feeble, final thrusts, but that was all I could muster. I felt my body sag, and I pulled us over onto our sides, so I would not drop my whole weight on Bridget. We spooned there, my cock still inside her, but it was softening fast, and soon I would never be inside her again. Bridget sagged as well. She tossed the pillow aside and muttered, Jesus fuck, Alistair, I didn't think you were ever going to come. It was killing me, waiting for you, waiting for you, wait! I said, starting to laugh. You were waiting for me. I was waiting for? We both giggled uncontrollably for a moment, and then I was weeping uncontrollably. My exhausted body, so recently wrung out by a marathon of sexual gymnastics, now shuddered in sobs, tears dripped down and over Bridget's naked shoulder, where I buried my face. My dick gave up the ghost and shriveled its way completely out of Bridget. I felt Bridget crying too, how, she sobbed, are we crying after such amazing sex? Because I'm not crying about sex, I sniffled. I hugged her, trying to keep my hands away from any erogenous zones, which was hard with Bridget. 
I gave up and slid away from her, just enough to not touch her. She rolled over and we stared at each other. I'm crying about endings, about changes, I said. Look, you and I will always be friends, right? That's obvious, I said, and she nodded, eyes bright in reply. We will text, we will email, we will even talk on the phone, I went on. And we will probably meet up at alumni day reunions, but that will just be catching up or checking in. I kills me to face it, but I have to. The chances are very good that the two of us will not ever even be physically in the same state for more than a day or so for the rest of our lives, Bridget. I will never have you in my life the same way again. The way that was most important to me. Way that I so desperately needed. I looked at her brow furrow a little. I'm talking about what you have meant to me and my life for the last four years, not the last eight weeks. I owe all or at least part of everything that I am to my friendship with you. I owe the shape I'm in and the way I dress and how well I handle friendships to you, Beth and Carla, and yes, I also owe the insane sexapalooza my life has become. To you, Bridget snorted, her own mood lightening at that. You had a good head of steam going on that before you, and I first. Not what I mean, I laughed. I mean that your friendship and the friendships you helped me build with other people, guys and girls alike, made this possible for me, made all my life possible for me. I stopped and looked her in the eye. And tomorrow, I will get a piece of parchment that will mark the official amputation of my best friend. Bridget looked at me, fresh tears on her face. I get that same parchment tomorrow too, you know, she said. I know, I cut in, whining now. But you made, shut up, all, Bridget snorted. You changed me too. You have, throughout our four years here, always been just what I needed. When I was a freshman, and I was the next big thing on the cross, country team, I was a cocky little bitch who got no respect from the older girls. I didn't even know if I wanted to stick with running. But running with you, talking to you about running. I don't know. Being your mentor kept my own mind straight and made my motivation stronger. And you taught me that guys are humans, honestly, Bridget went on. From you and the open, honest, dependable fun way you were always there for me, I truly understand how much I can expect to have good male friends, with or without sex. We looked at each other for a moment. She snickered. And I'm just going to say it. Once we firmly established the value of a friendship that wasn't going to ever be about sex, you showed me just how mind, blowing sex can feel. Yeah, I dead, panned. I guess, now that you mention it, I will probably miss the sex too. She threw her pillow gag at me. Come on, asshole, she said, sitting up. We have to get dressed before we start missing the sex too much and miss dinner instead. We cleaned ourselves up as best we could and got dressed but we couldn't quite bring ourselves to part quite yet. We sat apart in the room in approved inter-dorm visitation manner, with at least three of our feet on the floor at all times, and indulged ourselves in a final bull session. I suddenly found myself relaxed. The grief, well and truly expressed, was fading to the dull background ache it would forever remain. Bridget was my last goodbye. Poppy, the last girl I had hooked up with, was also my first goodbye. 
we said our wordless farewell, which actually involved a lot of words shouted at the top of our lungs at her home near the school. Again, beds are just the absolute best when it comes to sex. I highly recommend that you pick one up. Jen and I ended up where we began. I met up where we began, as we had planned, late one evening. She surprised me by actually wearing a skirt instead of her ubiquitous corduroys. She hauled me, laughing down the basement corridor to the once again locked entrance to the science annex. There, she showed me that she had worn the skirt for a reason, and I fucked her silly against the wall in the alcove, almost fully clothed but right there in a public, if out of the way, hallway. It was such a scary rush, even though we did not even get close to being caught that time. Carla and I, of course, had no last hurrah. But we did have a long, long lunch, sitting by ourselves in the dining hall. Yeah, I cried for that one too. The only other time I got teary was two days before graduation, with Adam of all people. I felt bad once or twice, in those waning days that neither Adam nor Trey had gotten swept up like Ben had in the sexual insanity of my final months at school. I guess, as with all good dud campaigns, they needed to do a better job of developing their characters if they wanted the experience. Much as Ben and I both lobbied for it to be otherwise, we were denied. Our final hurrahs with Beth were at the same time. Sigh. Petra and I did manage once or twice to step out on Bridget, as it were. The sex between just the two of us was awesome each time but it lacked the connection I'd had with my other fellow students. She and I just did not have the social history I had with the others. But whatever she decided about her bisexuality, and I got the impression from Bridget that that was very much still an open question for both of them, I was left with no doubt about Petra's affection for Dick. Bridget and I kept on talking, but we were thinking that I really need to go. Just because we were cleaned up, we were not necessarily showered up, and that was very important, before we went and partied with the rest of the class and the faculty. I was about to leave when Bridget's door banged open and Jen surged into the room. Bridget and I looked at each other in good-humoured horror. We had just engaged in a multi-hour tour de sex in her room, and neither of us had remembered to lock the door. Bridget, Jen began, as she burst through the door. I'm looking for... Oh... You're here, Alistair, she blushed a little. Then her eyes widened. Oh God, I'm sorry, were you guys about to? Ah, say goodbye. While Jen was pretty much in the loop on everyone I was horsing around with, she had heretofore held herself a little more aloof than most of the rest of my special friends, even Poppy. I realized suddenly that I had not once been in the same room with Bridget and Jen that spring. No, Bridget said, stretching idly. Alistair just finished making me walk funny for a day or so. Jen snorted. Heard that, she paused awkwardly. Hey, Bridget, sorry, she searched for words which was fucking rare for Jen. This is pretty awkward. You know being part of a watchacolate, a harem, I guess, isn't it? Bridget laughed. I swiftly and sternly cut in. I do not have a harem. I have a board of governors. Bridget and Beth have the harems. Igjit and Beth have the harems. It's usually safest, Bridget said, climbing off her bed. I should have made sure we talked more, Jen, before we got here, to the end of all things. 
Welcome to the end of all things. Welcome to the sisterhood of Alistair's travelling penis, Jen laughed in surprise. The secret handshake is fist bump. Handshake high five, Bridget added dryly. Jen wordlessly executed the set of gestures that Bridget had just invented. I think, flawlessly, wait, she said. You have a harem, Bridget. Co-ed, I observed, not liking how easily I still got talked about, like a lab animal, whenever multiple women who knew me talked together. Ni and Petra. Jen shrugged. She already knew that Petra and I had been together, and she knew that Petra and Bridget had dated, though I don't think I had ever let on about the threesomes. I hadn't wanted to look like I was fishing for one with Jen and Poppy. I retrospect. I should have fished. Oh, should have fished. Okay, I knew that. But can you have a co-ed harem? Anyway, I had not heard that Beth liked girls, Jen said in surprise. Ha! I snorted. She most certainly does not, I begged. I was talking about Beth's BH, Bridget said. A week ago, none of us would have told tales like this. But any remaining discretion was fading with the hours left in our school lives. D.H. She calls Ben and me her big dick harem. I laughed. I found it interesting that I was quite amused and comfortable at being described as being part of someone else's harem. But I did not like the idea that I had one myself. Wait, Jen said, suddenly talking to me, her eyes narrowed. Don't tell me Ben is hung like you. I understand he does very well for himself, laughed Bridget, who had not shown any interest in first. Hand knowledge. Having seen it up close, and much more personally than I still am comfortable with, I chuckled, absently pulling out my phone. He's plenty big. Speaking of Ben, I've got to track him down. Me, dude. Where are you? Ben, hanging out by the pond with Adam and George. Why? Me, looking for you. The text I really wanted to send was, Why are you wasting time hanging with that douche, George? But the douche in question might have seen it when it hit Ben's phone. Ben, be here a little while longer. Dunno. What's up? Me. Nothing. I may swing by. Ben's hanging out by the pond, I told Bridget. I've got some shit to give him, but I'll wait for later tonight. Well, I'm still sorry to interrupt you guys' goodbyes. Jen said, and excused herself swiftly. Bridget watched the door close, then started laughing. I'm guessing she came here to see if I knew where you were, because she's horny and looking to scratch an itch. Bridget nudged me with her elbow. Do you want to chase her down? I looked quite seriously at Bridget. You are the last goodbye. There was never any way that it wasn't going to be you. So now she is off to get a good look at Ben to decide if he is scratch-worthy, Bridget chortled. I know, I said, picking up my stuff. That's why I told her where he is. Bridget slapped me on the arse. Hard. Hey, they are both my friends. I look out for my friends. I would never again get laid as a high school student. But, as it turns out, Ben would. When I got out of the shower, I was a text notification on my phone. Still dripping in my towel, I picked it up. Mary, hey, when is your graduation? Me, tomorrow, yours. Mary, this morning. Me. Congratulations sent with confetti, me. So how are things with you? Got a guy in the picture. I was suddenly very interested in Mary's current love life. I hoped the fact that she was texting me was a good sign that she did not have one. My phone binged again. 
and a picture appeared. It was very nice shot of Mary and Maddie, flanking Carrie Cuenque in the middle. They wore their graduation robes hanging open, revealing very short, very clevelicious white dresses underneath. The three had their arms around each other and were grinning happily. Me. I hope we here have as much fun tomorrow, a few minutes past, as I dried my hair. Mary. Notice what's not in that picture. Me. Not sure, Mary. Any guys? The dinner that night for the seniors was mediocre, as the school's food always was, but it was a much higher cut of mediocre than usual. Afterward, we all walked over to the headmaster's backyard for the traditional graduation smoking of cigars. It was a tradition dating back to before the school was co-ed. I think a number of girls were suddenly pining for the days of male privilege once they found themselves having to light up under the old man's eye. I had never seen human beings literally turn green about the gills before that night. After that, we all trooped back to unwind in the common rooms of our dorms. We were emotionally both keyed up and exhausted, so it was generally an early night. I'm not saying a certain amount of contraband alcohol and pot did not get drunk or smoked, but everyone was low, key about eight. It would not have done to get busted with twelve hours to go. The next morning dawned with parents and families crowding onto campus and milling around graduation courtyard. I swung by to see my parents and grandparents before the ceremony, but did not stay long. The school had us doing a last-minute supplemental rehearsal since the first rehearsal, two days ago, had been such a shitshow. The graduation went off without a hitch. Our class speaker was hilarious and engaging. Our commencement speaker was the father of a girl in our class, a semi-famous novelist. He was less hilarious and engaging. Afterward, we all mingled, parents and graduates alike, with the teachers milling nearby. Later that evening, there would be the traditional after-graduation party with the students and faculty. It would not be the debauch it allegedly used to be before the legal drinking age went up, but the school did very specifically tell parents that if we attended, there would very likely be alcohol brought in by us. And, since we were all now alumni, not students, that was on us, not the school. As long as things were kept to a dull roar, the cops tacitly left the commencement party alone. No police officer wants the heat of busting a party with a scattering of billionaires' kids. Ten members of our class, whose parents were apparently manufactured by Sikorsky, were denied permission to attend and would therefore hate their parents forever. I got caught up in the after-commencement crowd and separated from my parents. When I tracked them down, I kind of freaked for a moment. My mom was chatting happily with Poppy's mom, Sloane, who boy. I had not spoken to Sloane since the day we had fucked and then got caught fucking by Poppy. Even better, I now realised that Poppy was standing happily next to Sloane and my mother. My father was standing to the side, giving Sloane a good visual going over. At least, I hope he was mentally undressing Sloane and not Poppy. I took a deep breath and stepped toward them. Mom and Sloane were laughing as I approached. There you are, I said. We did it, Poppy. Done and dusted, she replied, and we shared a solemn fist bump. You know my mother, don't you? Alistair. She fucking emphasized. No, I winced. 
Sloane's eyes widened slightly. Then she cut her eyes at Poppy for just a moment, and she smiled. I did not like the look of that smile. It is interesting to hear where you live, she said to my mother, continuing their conversation. Poppy's father is taking her brother on a fishing trip to Montana this summer for his 18th birthday. I plan on taking Poppy to the beach with me for a counter, vacation. I'm looking at the coast near you. Do you recommend it? Oh heck yes, my mother enthused. It is a little far for us, for frequent day trips, unfortunately. But it is one of the best beaches I know anywhere, not too over, developed, at least not yet. Well, if we choose there, Poppy can contact Alistair. I usually rent a larger verbo than we need. If he'd like, he can come stay with us and enjoy the beach. The two of them can have one of those alumni meetups. She looked at me. Poppy does have your number, right, Alistair? I do, Mom, Poppy put in with an edge to her voice. But there was a twinkle in her eye. Moreover, I thought I saw a twinkle in Sloane's eye too. Christ, if that visit were to happen, it had the potential to be an apocalyptic shit show. There was no way I would not go. My father nudged me aside from the ladies. So you have finally succumbed to the name, ha, Al. I did my best for you. But it seems like half the school is calling you Alistair. It started as kind of a joke, Dad, I said easily. But yeah, I think I have finally embraced it. Yeah. Well, if you get a chance to go spend time at the beach with that girl. And hell, with her mom too, for that matter, you better embrace that too, Dad chuckled. Once the eight millionth picture had been taken, the last dry cookie or cake had been eaten, and a couple hours of grumbly packing up of vans and subs had been completed, the parents went off to celebratory dinners where they rejoiced in not having to pay prep school tuition anymore. Most colleges are actually cheaper. The students who were going to the post-commencement extravaganza gathered in groups and started Ubering over. Virtually, all the faculty was going as well, and they mostly carpooled. Those that did drive put their keys in a lockbox until the next morning. There were no restrictions on the faculty drinking in front of us that night. The party was centred around a huge tent in the middle of a field, both rented for the occasion. The crowd spilled out onto the surrounding grass as well, which was illuminated by soft lights hanging from tethered helium balloons overhead. There was even one of those ultra-fancy portable restrooms to use. Better yet, they even hired an attendant to keep it clean, who I very much hoped was being paid like a CEO for the evening. The food was carefully not provided by our dining hall staff, and was thus pretty damned good. I spent a lot of the early evening with a truly random assortment of my classmates and favourite faculty. For instance, Mr. Yardley, who was 27, one of the youngest faculty, and a favourite of mine, if not everybody's, dragged me into playing hacky sack for half an hour with four guys with whom collectively I had conversed for about nine hours in the preceding four years. We succeeded in having a great time, and in proving that we all sucked at hacky sack except for Mr Yardley. I'm not sure that I knew his first name was George until that game. My father is awesome even if he is an old horn dog who insists on checking out my classmates and their mothers right in front of my own. As he and mom were taking their leave, he had handed me six disposable Mylar flasks of Goodmount Gay Rum. That put me in possession of one of the highest 
quality, most politely concealable supplies of booze in my class. I had distributed them as soon as I got to the field to my various friends or groups of friends or groups of friends. Coke never tasted so good. As the evening passed, and I grew tired of hanging out with classmates who had never given a shit about me before we graduated, I set out to find those people, male or female, who actually had mattered to me. I saw Jen and Poppy in the distance and started toward them. Alistair, I heard behind me. I turned to see Missy's green waving at me, a microphone in her hand. Why the mick? Yes, ma'am, I asked as she approached. It's Nancy, she chuckled. If you call me ma'am or Ms. Green ever again, I'll break your arms. I was actually little taken aback by the casual, good-natured ferocity of that comment. Yes, M. Yeah, sure, Nancy. Sorry, I managed, keeping my arms intact for the moment. That's okay, she laughed. This is your first commencement party, just like it is mine. But they keep telling me that this is our first opportunity to act like fellow adults, not teachers and students. How many teachers have you called by their first name tonight for the first time, after all? I actually stopped to think about that for a moment. Three, I said uncertainly. That's all, Miss Green exclaimed. Have you been avoiding us? Not at all, I replied. I shrugged. Old habits die hard, and I had not even tried with most of them. I laughed inwardly. I could no more have walked up to the headmaster that evening and called him by his first name than I could have greeted the Queen of England with house tricks, ya, yeah, old cunt. Still, Mrs. Green, Nancy was only twenty-four. She'd be good practice. You are laughing to yourself, Nancy said, pointing out my rudeness. I'm sorry, Nancy. I was just imagining saying to the headmaster, Hey, Rocky, how's the fundraising going? She nodded at my emphasized use of her name. I raised my clear solo cup of coke, spiked with rum. She raised her own plastic glass to touch mine, and she finished off whatever wine she had in it. She turned toward a nearby trash can and tossed the cup into it in a high arch. She pumped her fist as it sank right in the center of the can. If I remembered correctly, she had coached the girls' thirds basketball team that winter. Nice, I said. I'd have missed that by a mile. So what's up with the microphone? Do you remember the new podcast, Rocky Wanted Me to Start About the School? Nancy asked. Thanks for helping me find some useful and willing technical help, by the way. Well, I'm surprised to find that I've really gotten into it. And so here I am at the party with a recorder. You are working tonight, I said in mock horror. I thought the whole point of tonight's party was that none of you guys are working. That way, you can all turn off your teacher noses, so you don't have to notice when the bloodshot rhinos and their crowd light up whatever dank weed they inevitably will tonight. The bloodshot rhinos were a student band that mostly did Bob Marley covers. Ah, Nancy said, making a face. I wouldn't touch whatever weed those boys procured with a ten-foot pole. I thought that was a very interesting way for her to say that, but chose not to pursue it. Weed was not my thing. So what are you doing, recording the ambient sounds of the party to make it seem like it isn't the debauch that it is? I asked. Then I teased. Or are you trying to make it sound like it is more of a debauch than it is more of a debauch than it is? It honestly wasn't a terribly wild event. 
There was nice music, a little dancing, a fair amount of moderate, unacknowledged drinking, and a lot of war stories being told. No, no. I am trying to get in a few last interviews before I stash this in my car and get on with some serious wine drinking, she said. I am doing a whole series of episodes on students whose lives have changed profoundly while here. I'm producing them mostly with interviews from those who watched the change. I came over here because I have been working on an episode on you. I have lots of material, but nothing from you yourself. Alarm bells went off in my head. Who have you been interviewing about me? I asked slowly. Well, most of my material is from various faculty. Coach Parvis and Mrs. Sarnioki both actually suggested you as a subject to begin with. But lots of faulty have noticed the changes in you. The name change has everybody particularly interested, Alistair, especially since it does not appear to be tied to any particular special or embarrassing event. I snorted inwardly at that, a brief vision of Carrie Crayonke bent over my mom's car, fleeting through my brain. That had been a particularly special event. I did talk to a few of your classmates and friends, as well, she went on casually. Ah, oh, I got some good funny stuff from your friend Trey. He's a sarcastic little shit, but he's quite funny. Just don't tell him I said that. Don't tell him I said that. Don't tell him he's a sarcastic little shit, or that he is funny. Funny, Nancy answered with a laugh. He already knows he's a little shit. But if he hears I thought he was funny, it would go to his head. I also got some nice insights from your friend Bridget. Bridget, I gulped. She never told me about it. She thinks that she is funny too, Nancy smiled. But she told me a good tale about you two's friendship. It is nice to have a good, long-term platonic friendship to use to illustrate that they are possible. That said, she is very fond of you. You should have gone for that one. I rolled my eyes, for a host of reasons. Anyway, Nancy went on, rising her microphone. Can I get you to talk with me at least a little on Mick? I shrugged. It seemed the whole thing would be fairly safe. I started to answer some questions, but Nancy was listening to me with one ear in a headphone. She shook her head. Damn, I am getting too much background noise here. I wouldn't mind the music, but everything else is making it hard to understand you. Walk with me. She turned and headed off across the grassy field. I followed dutifully. Now look. The woman is hot. Following her was not a hardship. She was wearing a light blue, short-sleeved sweater that I could not help but notice pulled tight across her significant chest and a light green cotton skirt that showed a modest third of her thighs. When she turned away, it revealed itself as being nicely form, fitting, which suited her, and me, because her round little ass was picture-perfect in it as she moved. She kept the earpiece to the side of her head as she walked, her curly mass of sun-bleached hair shoved up out of the way. By the time we got to the edge of the pool of light from the overhead illumination, she stopped and shook her head. I hope the neighbors don't call the cops. We are actually being fairly loud out here. I looked around into the darkness, the field the party was in was huge, and there was some heavy woods beyond it in the direction we were headed. You could see the lights of large homes in the distance in all directions, but they were all pretty far away. We are pretty isolated, I observed. I'm only joking, she smiled, but the noise is still screwing up my sound. 
how I thought that I could get good interviews tonight. I'll never know. Am I the only one you are trying to interview? I asked, puzzled. No, but you are the only person I wanted to interview extensively. The others are just little snippets of sound, and the party atmosphere works for those, Nancy fretted. Here, I know they don't want us wandering off, but let's just keep walking, and we will talk as we move. It'll provide context for the background sounds, I shrugged. Walking in the dark with her was not my idea of a bad time, and while it would be harder to make out all her fabulous details, I figured I would have an easier time looking closely at them. The interview was actually entertaining, and thankfully, it did not center on just this last spring, but my whole four years. We would walk and pause, then walk again in flow with the questions. Sometimes, she would pause the recording and ask me for another try at an answer that I had mangled. My eyes got adjusted to the dark, and I was able to go back to easily enjoying the view of her beside me. That meant she might have more easily caught me checking her out. But hey, we were just fellow adults now, right? I should have gotten a refill before we wandered off, Nancy said, coughing slightly. Mind? she asked, and reached out for my rum and coke. Without waiting for permission, she took a deep swig and handed it back to me. Thanks, she said, her throat wetted again. But you should put more rum in it. It's pretty weak. Excuse me, I meeped. Please, Nancy said, rolling her green eyes. She would clearly have been shocked if my cup had contained only coke. I pulled my flask of rum out of my deep pocket and added a splash to my half-full cup. She took it from me and tried another sip. Getting there, she smiled. Tastes like good rum, too. We just walked in, companionable silence for a little bit, sharing the drink. We found ourselves on a path through the edge of the woods, where there were benches and nature walk, information signs that I could not read in the moonlight. Nancy stopped to face me and resumed the interview. She was talking now about track and the way I had finally won my last race ever. It was a good story, and I enjoyed talking about it. I was not about to share the extra motivation I had had to break that tape, of course, but the memory was boiling my blood behind the scenes. Also, boiling my blood was standing there in front of Nancy. She is the better part of a foot shorter than I, so as I stood and looked down on her while we talked, I had a truly excellent view of the way her breasts swelled the front of her sweater. Jesus, they were nice, and I could stare all I wanted because they were in the same line of sight as her face. Nancy lowered the mick and stole another sip of my dwindling coke. Can we talk about girls for a bit? She asked suddenly. Excuse me? I was thinking you could tell me about that girl, Jen. Remember when I ran into you two in the basement corridor that night? Alarms. Yikes. Oh, ah, yeah, I said, as if trying to remember some incidental event. Yeah, we had been trying to go out to the fields, but the door to the annex was locked at the end. We were backtracking when we ran into you. That's the night, Nancy said easily. Weren't there rats or something? I added, unnecessarily and unwisely. Nancy snorted, then laughed. I'm sorry, I asked nonplussed. Alistair, please, Nancy said with an almost teasing tone. She resumed walking, and I followed. The mick was still turned off at her side. I told you I heard noises, and I grew up in Brooklyn, 
I can damn well tell the difference between rats fighting and a young girl having the very best kind of fun, and a lot of it. My eyes must have been wide as saucers. I stared at her in shock, and I honestly was still scared somehow. And then, when I reached you, I could tell exactly what kind fun Jen had been having, Nancy laughed, now thoroughly enjoying my discomfort. Your face absolutely stank of pussy. Well, I said at last, after staring at her like I was a stuffed fish for a few seconds, shit, she actually cackled. When her hilarity at my spinning brain subsided, she went on. I was curious, though. Still am. We keep closer track of you kids' romances than you probably think, and you and she were never on the radar. I, ah, I was. That night was our only real date, to be honest. You went out with that girl once, engaged in oral sex, and never went out with her again, Nancy asked. But her amusement had suddenly acquired an edge that I very much did not like. I am not some love'em and leave'em type. And I sure as fuck didn't want to be seen that way. Hey, um, yeah, that was our only date date, but we definitely kept, um, well, you know, from time to time. God, that sounded bad. I... We had known each other since freshman year, but I don't think we really were friends until that night. To be honest, Jesus, were those her nipples tenting up the front of her sweater. From this conversation, I... Ah, uh, I guess that I have never really had very many dates at all, I said letting every inch of my sheepishness show, with any of my... Ugh, with anyone really, I cut myself off quickly, but she caught my wording. With any of your, Nancy pounced. Have you actually been with other girls here? Ooh, I said. Damned alcohol. I have a hard enough time not embarrassing myself as it is. Man, I wish I could use any of this, she chortled. Then she went back to tease mode. In fact, I watched as she straightened her spine and pushed her shoulders back. She clearly had me busted on where my eyes were really focused, and she was playing into it. I was being tortured and I was not hating it. But if you had a string of girls, I'd have expected more public drama during the transitions. As I said, you seem to have dropped off our radar of kids to watch on the emotional front this whole year, and this spring especially. I shrugged. As long as everybody knows about everybody else, and everybody knows up front, then there is no cause for drama. The one time I didn't. Well, we fixed the drama, but not before there were tears. The flirty behavior was gone. I was being examined, and with some skepticism, I just let my gaze on her get more intense. The nipples were getting harder. I had joked about this exact situation. I had fantasized about it too, but mostly joked about it. But here it was. It was still a ludicrous long shot. But I was going to try to nail this woman, and I was not going to be timid about it. I had gotten to this point by being crazily, sometimes unconsciously, bold. I had maybe a ten-minute window. So you are telling me that you were sexing up multiple girls at a time, and they all knew, Nancy scoffed. I let the embarrassment fade away and gave her just a one-sided grin. I really did lock my gaze with her eyes. Green eyes really did it for me, come to think of it. Yep. I said with a little challenge in my voice. I held her gaze, letting the wolf show, just a little. Nancy looked back into my eyes, unfocusing for a second, then suddenly shaking her head and looking away. 
She adopted a more relaxed posture, crossed her arms and laughed. Bullshit, she said merrily. I mean, I have ample evidence where Jennifer is concerned, but come on. She looked at me, still half grinning at her. What could you be doing to make that the remotest possibility? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I was going to make her so happy that she asked that question. I was already ecstatic, she asked that question. I had to keep from jumping up and down, I said, shrugging. It took me a while to really grasp why things were going so very well, once they got going at all. I asked the same question you just did, often. I was very ignorant, right up until I wasn't. I let the wolf show through again, but just a little. My vision widened from just her eyes, back to taking in her whole torso. As far as I can tell, the secret of my success, aside from honesty, caring, and a general eagerness to please, is two-fold. I made her ask. Two-fold, Nancy prompted. Yep, she was more than intellectually curious. She was not sold or eager, but she was curious. The first you essentially already know. I am a huge fan of, and I'm told that I am really, really good at. I actually hesitated this time. Embarrassment crept in a little. I love cunnilingus, I blurted out. I had almost said, I love eating pussy. That would not have struck the right tone. And she thought that I had blushed when she told me my face stank. She was a raspberry. Well, ah, I can see that that might be helpful. But still, come on. What do you have to top that? I let the wolf out. It really isn't a predatory vibe, so the wolf is probably a bad term, but I let her see how much I wanted her, how much I wanted to offer her. Girls said I looked primal like this, and not at all safe. If I was going to pull this off, I had better come off as special. I just looked at her like that for several seconds, then I relaxed and shrugged. The other one kind of snuck up on me, but apparently it is unusual to have a nine and a half inch cock. She burst into laughter, which she cut off almost immediately when she saw me raise an eyebrow, challengingly. I looked at her, watched her think. She was flushed now, on her heels, confused, and very, very horny. The teaser had been ensnared. It occurred to me that being just a little drunk was working to my advantage. I would never have had the guts to indulge my male instinct to this extent. I doubt even my male instinct would have had the guts, not with Nancy Green. But I had had the guts, and unless I was very wrong, I was about to be legendary. Probably only in my own mind. I mean, who would I tell and when? Nancy looked at me with a look of almost defiance. Put up or shut up, buster. Show me. We were just a few strides from one of those benches on the edge of the woods. It was dim in the gloom, and would certainly be invisible from inside the island of light where all her colleagues and my fellow freshly minted alumni partied away. I took her hand softly and led her to that bench. Looking into her eyes, which were alight with curiosity, skepticism, and hopefully hope, I rested my hands on her thighs and pushed the fabric of her light skirt upward as I guided her to a seat. When you live on campus as faculty, you don't get off campus much more than students do, you know, she said. In one way or another, we all work seven days and nights a week. Aside from students and faculty, 
The only people I know by name in this whole town are one cashier at Target, and one cashier at Target, and one cute bartender who I am beginning to fear is gay. I'll admit, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around all this. Yeah. So that has left me with the school population to interact with. I don't know if you noticed, but the male faculty here is not straight out of central casting. There are like two guys among the faculty and staff who are doable, and they are both married. She looked at me and smirked. That has left me and my trusty vibrator with nothing but about five senior boys to mentally work with all year. Let's just say you caught me at an auspicious point in time. Her eyes ran over me hungrily. I've got to know who they were, I said, happy to extend this conversation, while my hands were full of perfect tits. Davis Reynolds, Tom Welch, Yancey Etheridge, you, and Walter Smith, she replied promptly. Wait, me, I objected skeptically. Why not? You are a tall guy in shape, kind to people, smart, and funny the few times I ever heard you speak. I like your piercing blue eyes, and that was before you started looking at me with them tonight. I just shook my head, mostly in frustration. Until the last few months, most girls here did not know that I existed, I grumbled. Those that did, even my good friends, did not quite grasp that I had a fucking gender. And you, you, of all people, were up in your apartment, jilling off to thoughts of me. Well, I could hardly have invited you up, she giggled. I don't know, I replied, almost giggling myself. I am good at keeping secrets. Apparently, Nancy snorted. And let me say, catching you and Jen that night did nothing to tamp down any fantasies about you. There has been a lot more sex going on at this school than we thought, added Petra dryly. What? I scoffed. The deuce you say, my lady. There were shenanigans that the general populace was not aware of. Can you imagine? cooed Petra, who stepped up and took her turn. Ron was beside himself. Amazingly, we were not surrounded by shocked eyes. Most people were just not looking for our group to be producing this kind of excitement. Well, I see as the faculty drift off home to bed, this kiss and cuddle announcement thing is spreading, said Miss. Green suddenly from behind us. We all jumped and instinctively tried to look innocent before we could stop ourselves. Jen recovered first. Is it? she asked, and stepped up, holding my hand tightly and kissing me, throwing in a little visible tongue usage for good measure. I actually laughed a little, and Miss Green just crossed her arms. Yeah, I knew that one, she said dryly. You did, Jen blurted in surprise. She had us busted that first night, I said with a smile. She told me earlier he had your aroma on him pretty strongly, Nancy said with a broad smirk. She smiled as Jen got some gently ribbing grins from the assemblage. Feeling challenged by the teacher's smug knowledge, all my friends mockingly kiss and clutched at me again in turn. Both Beth and then Jen kissed Ben, which drew a shocked gasp from Carla and Poppy. Even Carla nudged Ron in the side, then stepped toward me and gave me a fist bump and an air kiss. Ron was almost dying when she moved back by his side, held his hand and kissed him deeply. She whispered in his ear, but he still glared at me a little. I just looked back reassuringly. Nancy was looking around at all these girls, including Beth, who had decided to take Ben's hand and kiss him again too, for good measure. 
they grinned at her, each as smug as Nancy had been. She was honestly a little rocked, I thought gleefully. Finally, she just shook her head and said, We are going to have to keep better track of what you all are up to, she brightened, having been put on her heels and acknowledging the point. Well, I am heading to bed myself, and my Uber will be here soon, so I am just saying my good buys to as many of you as I can. With that, Nancy looked around quickly, then took both my hands in hers and kissed me hard, finishing with a quick nip on my lower lip. You were magnificent, she said softly, but quite audibly, and she turned and walked away, that fabulous ass swaying more than a bit more extravagantly than normal. I am a legend, 